Okay, I'm going to kick off with a story. Actually, this is um, a book, a children's book, but I fell in love with it long before I was ever a mum. It's a story about two rabbits, technically hares, but I'm going to call them rabbits. And one hare says, hmm, guess how much I love you to its bigger hare. And, and And it goes, it stretches out his arms, it goes, I love you this much. And the big hare goes, hmm, well, I love you this much. And of course, it's much bigger, so he wins. So the little hare goes, hmm, well, I love you this much, and reaches all the way up to the top. And it goes back and forward like this until the little hare realizes he's physically smaller and he's not going to win. So he points to a river and says, I love you all the way to the river. And the big hare goes, well, I love you all the way to the river and up the hills. And the little hare's exhausted. He goes to bed, he looks up, and he sees the sky and says, you can't get any further than that. And he says, I love you all the way to the moon, and falls asleep. And the big hare says, I love you all the way to the moon, and back. And I love that story because I love the idea that someone could love me that much, that someone could care to go all the way to the moon and back. I'm actually a sucker for anything that's got that written on it. I'm even wearing earrings right now um, that are from that brand. I've got the bag, it's, it's a bit embarrassing. And the reason is because for me, I had the privilege of always knowing my parents' love. I grew up and my mum said to me, I love you unconditionally. And that's a really big word for a three-year-old. So I say to June, I love you no matter what. And she first started to ask, what was that? What is that? What is no matter what? And I explained to her that no matter what she did, I would always love her. I wouldn't always like it, but I would always love her. Um, and my dad, on the other hand, he's, he's not very big with words. Um, he did say, I love you, and I know that he meant it, because his love was expressed through taking care of me and wanting to make sure I was safe. Um, my father served in the police force for over 30 years, and when his first child, at the age of 19, moved from our small town to the city, he came with me to look at apartments. Um, and I ended up in a share house of nine people, and he grilled the real estate agent, and then he took her license plate number, and he joked about taking everyone's in the street, and to be honest, I think he did. He checked the crime rates in the area, and he pointed out all the places that he knew people. This guy was the sergeant at the station nearby, and this is the fastest route to the hospital, and he'd mapped out long before a GPS how quick it was to get from where he was to where I was. And when I told him we were moving to London, he said, but I don't know anyone there. I know my dad loves me because he said it, but he would do anything, and I've seen him drop everything to come and help me out. So when someone first told me that God loved me unconditionally, I went, yeah, okay, (laughs) what else you got? Because for me, that was my reality. But I know that that's not always the case for a lot of people. See, love at the moment, and I guess always, has always looked a bit conditional. It's looked a bit like, I will love you, if you accept me for who I am, and if you maybe change the things that I don't like about you. It looks like I want to spend time with you as long as someone better doesn't come along. It looks like I will help you as long as it doesn't cost me anything. And it looks like I'll stay with you until you upset me or offend me. And we sometimes get trapped in these relationships where we feel like we have to behave a certain way or or say certain things to earn the affection or belong to the group. And we even end up living in this lie. And sometimes success will do this too. 
So you may have all these people around you because things are going really well. And then when the success goes and things get really hard, they go too. And we begin to love as we are loved because our experience defines our actions. So love, or the absence of it, teaches us that that kind of behavior is normal. So then, the question is, how are we actually meant to love? And we heard about it in our reading. Um, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them in perfect unity. And I've picked this passage out of Colossians. And you may think that Paul's writing to admonish them and tell them, well, you're doing a really bad job, love this way. But actually, from the start of the letter, he encourages how much they love each other and how well they're doing it. He's not getting mad at them because they're actually doing a really good job. But in the broader scope of the text, we see that Paul is actually addressing a serious issue that was developing in the church there because there was this undercurrent of superiority. There were people who were saying, I know God more than you. And they were judging each other based on what they ate, how they experienced the spirit, what they worshipped, thinking that some were better than others. And the result was a mass division in the church. And just before the passage that are happening, um, just before verse 12, Paul lists a whole uh, range of things that are happening and behaviors that are fueling the tension, such as anger, malice, rage, slander, filthy language, and lying. And Paul, in his beautiful direct way, calls it a result of a hollow and deceptive philosophy, one that is identified in the traditions of the human world and the basic principles. And those basic principles look like work hard, strive, protect yourself, succeed. And the human tradition of love, I think, is if you look like me and you sound like me and you agree with me, then we're friends. Just don't get in my way. So how, in the context of church, do we get past this? When we don't look like each other, we don't sound like each other, we might not always agree. Well, Paul's got a few suggestions, so I'll leave it up to him. Um, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. And the modern understanding of compassion means that I should have concern for someone who is suffering. But actually, if we look at the root word, compassion means to suffer with. What on earth could compel us to stand with someone in their suffering other than love? What does it look like if we turn up ready for anything? To cry, to be cried on. How do we support each other practically, financially, in any way, and allow compassion to move us into action? He says, clothe yourself with kindness. Kindness is a quality of being friendly, considerate, and generous. I used to think that was the worst compliment when someone called me kind, felt like a bit of a cop-out. Um, but then I realized that what, motiv what motivates it? Because I think true kindness stems from the heart, and it's really deep and genuine. And so often, we need kindness the most when we're actually not being very kind ourselves. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. And I think lo there are lots of messages on humility, so I'm not gonna dive in. But for me, I think one of the biggest things about being humble is approaching someone and saying, what can I learn from you? It means listening to their experiences and where they're at and not assuming we know everything because they look X, Y, Z or they're this age bracket or they have this kind of phone 
or they're wearing these sneakers, but actually are listening to their story and hearing what God's doing in their life. He talks about clothing yourself with gentleness, and gentleness is my favorite because it diffuses anger. Bobby will tell you, I do not respond to being yelled at. I just cry. I go like this. But gentleness diffuses anger. I have never once heard a testimony of the wrath of God leading someone to repentance. It has always been the gentle guiding of his spirit. Paul talks about being patient, us bearing with one another, and forgiving. And patience tells you, it teaches us, I'm going to wait. Bearing with one another teaches us, it's okay if you got that wrong. And forgiveness teaches us to say, I'm sorry. Now, it's good to note that Paul didn't make up this list of attributes by himself because they're great moral values. He didn't pick the nicest person in Colossae and was like, oh, you seem to be doing it really well. I'm just going to write about you and let everybody act like you. Paul is painting a portrait of the most beautiful human being who was a fulfillment of all of those things, and that's Jesus. And he says at the end of this text, above all of these things, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. And elsewhere in the scriptures, it teaches us in 1 John chapter 4 that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So he's basically saying, do all of these things and do them in Jesus. Do them with him. Because the truth is, we can't do them by ourselves. Paul is reminding the church to continue in the traditions that they were first taught. Forget what you have learnt from this context and this culture. Do what we taught you in the first place. In other words, don't let your actions reflect your bad thinking. Don't be thinking about how everyone else is doing it or what looks good on Instagram. In Christ, we are all new creations. And when we decide to follow Jesus, all of the ways of the world, all of that stuff that we see doesn't define who we are because we're given the spirit of God. Jesus left that for us as a gift and that's to help us to behave with a kingdom perspective. Paul says, put on new clothes. You are defined by Christ and his tradition based on the principles of the love of the Father. And the tradition of Christ is to love God with all your mind, all your strength, all your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the basic principle of God's love is, I love you more than you know, and I love you no matter what. See, the key to understanding God's love in this passage isn't about what we're supposed to do. It's about the first verse. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We can do everything and anything on that list because before we've even attempted it, we were chosen, we were made holy, and we are deeply loved. The Old Testament is this incredible story of uh, God choosing the nation of Israel as his people to dwell on earth and to bless and prosper. He says, I choose you to be my witnesses. And here I think lies one of the most beautiful revelations about who God is. He is all powerful. He knows everything, he can do anything he wants, and he chooses us. He chooses people to show everybody else who he is. And it seems the Israelites don't really do a good job. It seems that loving God and serving others is something that they struggle with. And to be honest, when I read through the commandments for the first time, not just the 10, but all of the other laws, I thought, gosh, it's no wonder. They couldn't get back to that presence place. 
And God saw humanity trapped in this cycle that they can't get out of, and he decided it was a world too far from him. So he did something about it. Because God saw the Israelites and said, I choose you and I love you no matter what. And they repeatedly rejected him. And his response wasn't to get up and walk away. He says, all right, this isn't working. Let me come even closer. Let me turn up in a way that you might understand, in a human form, in Jesus. And suddenly, we see not Israel just as the chosen nation, but Jesus begins to choose everybody that the world says shouldn't be chosen. He chooses disciples that basically failed the, the possibility of being Jewish teachers. He chooses social outcasts. He goes and speaks to the physically diseased and the mentally unwell. He chooses slaves, children, widows, cripples, and in a time when it wasn't cool to do so, women, centurions. And he even chooses Paul, someone who violently opposed him. See, he chooses each and every one and says, I love you, no matter what you've done. You are dearly loved, and I'll prove it at the cross. Trust me. Let me give you the peace that you long for and the freedom unlike any other, and allow me to give you my holiness, my righteousness. Allow me to give you who I am so that you can know your Father in heaven. God's chosen people isn't an abstract idea. It's not just the Israelites in a far-off place. It's the people in front of us, beside us, behind us. You are chosen by God. I don't know if you knew that this morning, but you are. And it's not because you did or didn't do anything. It's not because you look a certain way or because you're from a particular family. It's not even because you might have come to church every week this year. You're chosen by him because he loves you and he wants to be close to you because it all starts from a place of love. In verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And I can tell you there are a lot of times in my life when I have not been peaceful. Bobby's really mellow. He's helped me be more peaceful, but um, I have panicked at airports on numerous occasions for no apparent reason. It's great. But we are called to peace, not just to be peaceful, but to first receive peace for ourselves. And love has this incredible way of bringing peace. Because when you are fully known by someone, you're able to relax into this beautiful sense of comfort and security. I can remember before I knew anything really about Jesus, someone coming up to me, and I'm sure it was meant in love, and said, God sees everything you do. And I was terrified. And I thought, first of all, surely that's illegal. Secondly, it's an invasion of my privacy. And I went around and was kind of like half looking out for security cameras, being like, who's this person just watching me all the time? And it made me think about my mum, who just always knew where I was and what I was doing and what I'd just eaten from the fridge. And I was, I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, as a kid, you think that that's just an invasion of your privacy, but then you realize that my mum just wanted to make sure I was okay, that I was around the right people, that I was doing the right thing, that I was all right. And Jesus and God, it's the same thing. I realized he's not watching, for, watching me, waiting for me to slip up or get something wrong. He's watching and being with me at every moment so that when I'm not able to be patient, he might just give me a nudge. When I'm about to yell and blow up and say not very nice things to someone, he reminds me to look at them with humility, to think, you just cut me off. 
but hang on, what morning have you had this morning? And the fully aspect, the fully known aspect, releases me to be 100% transparent with God when I'm not having a good day or when maybe I don't, I don't think he's around right now. Without having to worry if God will love me the next day, I can tell him how I feel because I started by being loved with him at the first place. And when you wake up each day, God doesn't say to you, here are all the things that you can do and here are all the things that you can't do. And by the way, here's the list of stuff that you're still in trouble for. He says, good morning, I love you, let's hang out. The final verse of this passage from Paul is as follows. Be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in deed or word, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. In three verses, he says, be thankful three times. (laughs) I think maybe Paul wants us to see something. And there are lots of responses when someone does something for us. We could just not say thank you. Or we could say thanks. Well, you know, I did it myself, so didn't really have to say thank you because we think it's in its own merit. Or we could just take the gift and we can run. And there's this story in the Bible of 10 lepers who stand on the side of a road and beg Jesus for pity and for mercy. And he heals them all and says, go and show your priests that you're clean. And one comes back to say thank you. And what I find the most compelling fact about that story is that all 10 of them were healed, regardless of whether they were going to come back and say thank you. Because God's love towards us is not dependent on us and whether we're thankful for it. It's not based on whether we feel it or say it back in return, but it's impossible as we truly begin to comprehend how much we don't deserve it, but desperately need it, that we can't be thankful for his love. But the beautiful thing about thankfulness is that it's not just a response. God also designed it as a tool. It's a powerful tool that unites and empowers us in the most difficult times. Because in the middle of all the be thankfuls in that passage, Paul also talks about singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And there are so many in the Bible that we actually have them for all occasions. Some of my favorite psalms start with, God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you not even paying attention? See, God gave them to us in his word and in our community as weapons. They're there for when fear, rejection, hurt, and disappointment are on our doorstop. Because when we are at our worst, God loves us. When we forget him, he still loves us. When we think nothing in our lives matters to anyone and that he's not paying any attention and he doesn't care, he is still working for our good. And it's worth mentioning here that this is far easier said than done. Because love is tied to action quite a lot. And we usually view someone's love towards us based on what they do, not just what they say. So what does God loves me look like when we don't see him expressing his love towards us? How do we begin to believe he cares when all those nice promises in the Bible aren't materializing? How do we hold on to his love in the places that we cannot see or feel him? And where do we see God's love in the waiting and the suffering? I can't answer all of that. But based on this passage, 
I had a few thoughts. I think we see his love through the community of believers, through what Paul describes as the body of Christ. We see it in acts of compassion, where in a place of love, we stand together with those who are suffering and say, I know you can't pray right now, but I'll pray for you. The phone calls that say, hey, how are you doing? Because they think no one's watching. We see it in the acts of kindness towards one another, when we know for someone else right now, getting out of bed is really hard, and it's a bit overwhelming. We see it in the humility of being able to say, I'm not okay, and my faith is really struggling, and being honest with one another, because we can trust one another, and we can be that real. And we see it in the gentleness that says, I'm here for you, and we're here for you, not just in words, but in action. Where we don't just say, I'll pray, but go and do it. And where we turn up in any way we can. And with the patience that comes with the emotional roller coaster of life. And we especially see it in forgiveness. When we may need those things from everyone around us, and they fail. Or when we fail in giving it to others. Or even forgiveness when we see someone else in breakthrough. And we try, but we just can't be happy for them because we're still waiting and can I encourage us to be a family that can rejoice with those who are rejoicing as much as we are mourning with those who mourn but don't forget your weapon recount the acts of God and praise him for them giving thanks for what he's done for yourself and for others and give thanks for the little things that make a big difference that you're here right now that there's free tea and coffee. Give thanks for things in our physical world. Helps us lead us into praise for things that were done long before we were born, like Jesus, his life and teaching, his death and resurrection. Praise for a God who came looking for us long before we even knew he was there. In 2013, I had a lot to be thankful for. Um, My sister and I both got married in the same year. Um, I was coping with real world outside of uni. I'd managed to graduate, that was a plus. And it was in Christmas, it was a really busy time. Um, My family has two birthdays at Christmas and I was also working in retail. And I can remember, it was a couple of days before our biggest sales day and I get a phone call from um, the ex-boyfriend of one of my best friends. And he says, I'm really sorry to interrupt you, I just thought you'd want to know that Um, my friend had uh, taken too much medication the night before, that she was in hospital and she was okay, but he just thought I'd want to know. And I couldn't help but thinking, this could have been a very different call. And I left work and I was trying to work out how to get to the hospital and what to say, and to be honest, I was scared, I was angry, And I was really hurt. At God, just as much as I was at her. And I was trying to find something to bring because her love language was gifts and I thought, well, I'll have to, I I can't, I don't even know what to do. I'm gonna turn up with something. And I asked God to show me and in front of me was this book that had two rabbits on it. And it said, guess how much I love you. And I heard him say, buy the book. And I thought, what? And he said, buy the book and go and tell her how much you love her and how much I love you and love her. And I thought, this is one of the women in my life who led me to know who Jesus really was. Surely she knows. 
And surely this is too simplistic a response. I can't just take her a book. But I actually had no other idea, so I took it. And, and I was driving um, to the hospital, still trying to work it out. And I walked in, and I genuinely, I, I couldn't speak. I didn't know what to say when I saw her. And he said, and God said, just read the book. And so I did. And I sat there with her for a couple of hours, and I read the book. And I said, I'm here. I know it's really hard. But I love you to the moon and back. And the only reason I was able to do that and not be mad at her and not judge her and not tell her how I was feeling was because in the car on the way there, I heard God say to me, I'm here and I know this is really hard, but I've got you and I love you more than you know and no matter what. Should we stand?